Well, it was never our goal to be full-time owners of shopping centers. It's just an opportunity that was too good to say no to that we decided to take on. Really what we want to do is just have a nice life and not work too hard. And these particular shopping centers took a lot of effort to run. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason for that is they were in parts of town where it's hard to hire professionals to come and do the management for us. Mm -hmm. And so we had to do our own property management. And so part of the reason that we're selling the shopping centers and exchanging them for single family homes is that we'll be able to get property management with these portfolios of homes Mm -hmm. so that we don't have to do so much work ourselves. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 1213-1213. It's my pleasure to welcome Mark Faber. He is editor and publisher of the Gloom Boom and Doom Report. Mark, welcome. How are you? Well, thank you very much for having me on your program, and thank you for asking. I'm fine. I have been following your work for many years and uh, really find it to be very interesting and insightful. What is going on in the economy? I think we are on the brink of some real changes, maybe inflationary changes. Just give us the broad view, if you would, Mark. Well, I mean, the economy, as you know, we had a very serious recession in 2007-2009, which was followed globally by massive fiscal interventions and quantitative easing policies in uh, most countries in the world. And as a result of that, we had very powerful asset inflation. As you know, the S&P went from a low of 666 in 2009, March 2009, to now close to 3,000. And home prices recovered. And in some areas like Newport Beach, Denver, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Boston, New York, they made new highs. So we have had this asset inflation. What has really changed over the last 200 years or so in kind of economic activity is that the economy nowadays is driven by asset prices, and it's no longer the economy that drives asset prices. And this is a very dangerous situation, because in order to keep the economy going, you need to boost asset prices higher and higher. And as we know, markets go up and markets go down. So I think the outcome is not going to be very desirable. But the outcome or the end of this bubble, if you like to say, uh, we don't know when it will be. It could be tomorrow. It may have started and it could be in five years time. (laughs) So here we are. But that it's created a very loop-sided economy is clear. We have this huge wealth inequality. 
and not only in the U.S., this is a phenomenon everywhere that then leads to a lot of social tensions and to people that argue for things like a wealth tax or for uh, all kinds of benefits for people that were kind of left behind, then it becomes a political issue. And so you get social tensions and political tensions which in my view will not be very good for asset markets. Couldn't agree more. And it's interesting to sort of dissect the inflationary picture, if you will, into consumer inflation versus asset inflation. Certainly, certainly arguable that consumer inflation is a lot higher than the official numbers tell us. I, I would certainly agree with that. And it's, you know, it's a mixed bag because technology is so deflationary, but monetary policy is so inflationary. But when it comes to the asset side of of the inflation equation, it is incredibly significant. I mean, it's just making the rich richer. (laughs) The poor and the middle class are left out. They're not in the game, are they? Yes. There was an article, I think, yesterday on Bloomberg or the day before that says that children of wealthy parents in uh, primary school uh, did better in life later on than uh, primary school children of poor people. Yeah, naturally, because they're wealthy. When you're in primary school, they already have assets that the others have no assets. So in an asset inflationary period, some people, even without work, become very wealthy. I mean, I went to school in the 50s, and I finished uh, high school before going to university in 64. And one of my friends, his family owned some buildings in Zurich and one of the largest collection of Impressionist paintings in the world. Mm -hmm. He had Van Gogh's in the toilet. (laughs) Of course, these paintings appreciated dramatically. And because of the tax laws, it never really paid for him to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he, he just became even richer without working. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. certainly true. And when you look at, I mean, that's a more extreme example because that's, you know, already starting out as a wealthy person. But when you look at the typical, say, millennial in the United States, they're saddled by student loan debt and assets have become so expensive that they're just not acting the same way they did when I was in my 20s. I was a Gen Xer that tail end of Gen X, you know, people were buying homes. They were buying their first home when they were 25, 26. And that home has become so expensive, you you know? Yeah. I agree with you. But on this point, I'd like to make an additional commentary. A lot of young people nowadays, particularly the millennial generation and the generation Z that comes after the millennials. And I have experience with that because my daughter is a typical millennial. Now, the thing is, these people, they grew up with a different mentality and a different attitude than when I grew up. A lot of my generation, when we went to college and when we went to school and after school at university, we took part-time jobs to earn some money. Mm -hmm. And we didn't borrow any money. I mean, in Europe, people don't borrow money to study because it's free of charge, Mm -hmm. usually. Right. But even in the U.S., the debt explosion of millennials and of student loans that has occurred precisely in the last 10, 15 years is amazing. 
Mm-hmm. And it's partly because people just think, well, I go to university, I study, even if they don't study very much, but after they think they will earn a lot of money and repay that, but it doesn't happen that way frequently. Uh, later on, when they finish studies, depending on what they studied, they can't be employed. Yeah, well, you know, there there aren't a lot of people hiring for liberal arts uh, <laughs> credentialed jobs. There just aren't that yes, many positions exactly. for that. And you number know. two, I'd like to say this. A lot of millennials, they really got hit very hard by the housing bubble. They bought homes on speculation with large borrowings because, as you say, they don't have much money or they didn't have much money then. And then the property market went down, and so they lost a ton of money. And number two, go on the website Robinhood and look a little bit at what kind of stocks the millennials own. One of their favorites (laughs) was NVIDIA. NVIDIA is down almost 50% from the eye, almost 50%. That's the chip maker you're talking about, right, NVIDIA? Yes. Yeah, okay. And Tesla is -hmm. also down almost 50%. These are the type of stocks the millennials bought. They bought also cryptos, but at the wrong time. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, NVIDIA is behind the crypto revolution, and Tesla is uh, potentially on the brink of failure. It's amazing what's going on with Tesla. That's a soap opera in and of itself. But this generation... When you take this out 10 years from now, and these these kids are 40 years old, for example, they won't have the start that the baby boomers and the Gen Xers had because they don't own assets because of the asset price inflation, right? <laughs> yes, but there are many studies about this that the millennials at 35 years of age, they earn less mm-hmm. and they have less assets than the boomers. Right. This is the fact. Mm-hmm. I can verify that. And I have really a lot of friends in America. Some are very rich and some are not so rich, but they're they upper middle class. Mm-hmm. And when we have discussions and so forth, I always ask them, what are your children growing and so forth? And they say, well, one is there and one works there and so forth. And then I say, uh, jokingly, what about, are you still supporting them? I say 80% of my generation is still supporting their children. That is amazing. You know, the one wild card in this that might save the millennials is the inheritance that will eventually come. Um, and I don't, re- I don't really know of any stats on that. I mean, you, you read all these things about how many Americans, for example, are living paycheck to paycheck, couldn't come up with uh, $400 if they had an emergency, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, there certainly are some wealthy baby boomers, no question about it. No doubt. Yeah, any, any thoughts on the inheritance side of the equation? The problem is that the people that don't have $400 to spend on emergencies and they live from paycheck to paycheck, they usually do not come from wealthy families. Mm-hmm. That is the problem. Right. And I know about this inheritance. In Switzerland, we have made uh, studies on the subject, how much wealth is going to be transferred between now, my generation of baby boomers, it's not coming or it's approaching the day of final departure. And the young people, our children, this is a huge wealth transfer, but it's particularly large in countries that have 
large savings where people owned their homes and so forth, and where people owned their homes uh, not on credit. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I have friends, you know, they will inherit large homes, <laughs> but they won't afford to live in these homes. Because in Switzerland, like in the U.S., in most states, we have property taxes. So property tax can be quite expensive. Yeah, that's true. That's true. What is your outlook for the future uh, in, in terms of inflation, especially? You know, say you're looking the next 10, 15 years ahead. What will that look like? I mean, you said correctly that there are very powerful deflationary forces in the system. Say, Amazon is a hugely deflationary force, or also Uber or Lyft and so forth. Sharing These economy. Yeah. That reduce the cost of doing business and of your living costs and our airborne. These kind of companies, they contribute to, say, uh, relatively low consumer price inflation, although, as you pointed out, the consumer price inflation varies a lot. For instance, if I'm smoking and drinking, mm -hmm. well, alcohol taxes went up and prices of cigarettes went up a lot. So depends also what kind of a life you have. If you have four children, you have to pay their education. Then That's the ridiculous. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. If your wife is sick and you have to pay health expenditures for her, then the cost is very high. So there are many, many different aspects to this inflationary issue. But in general, if you look at the bond market, you know, at the beginning of the year, everybody was very bearish about bonds. They expected interest rates to go up. The bond market has been very strong, and uh, yields have come down from 3% to now slightly below 2.4% on the 10 years U.S. Treasury in half a year. So I think that the deflationary issues are still in place. And I keep on emphasizing what can happen is that you get a global asset deflation. Properties go down, commodities go down, stocks go down. And in that scenario, the only asset that will appreciate are treasury bonds for a while, but the dollar may become weak. You understand? You now have to also think about currencies. There's no point to make 5% on a U.S. Treasury through price appreciation and annual interest of 2.5% or so, but lose it on the exchange rate. So this is an additional thing. You know, when you measure inflation, I can tell you in most emerging economies, and in Asia we had had cost of living increases that are rather substantial. Absolutely. No question about it. And let's say on the 15 years outlook, when I look at the unfunded pension fund liabilities in the U.S., I look at the government's debt globally. I look at the asset dependency of the economy. Mm -hmm. I think there is only one option for central banks, and that will be to print money. Yeah. It doesn't work, they'll print more. It doesn't work, they'll, they'll print, print even more. more. Do you understand? So eventually, I suppose that paper money 
will become the worst much less. That mm -hmm. would be kind of my view over the long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems to be the only tool the governments and central banks really have is just money creation. They've just got to create more. Whenever I see a G20 meeting, you know, Davos, whatever it is, right? It's always, let's just get together and talk about how we can stimulate, stimulate, stimulate. It's more QE. I mean, what else is there? Is the, do they have any other tools? It seems to be the only thing they've got. Yes, correct. But there are two ways they can print money. They can print the money by buying assets, which they've done through QE. In other words, they go into the market and buy treasury bonds, mortgage-backed securities, and in the case of Japan, they also bought stocks. Okay, that is one way. That money flows mostly to the financial system and to rich people. The other way is what they propose now. They think it's a modern monetary theory. It's not modern and it's not a new theory. But it's basically to hand out money to individuals and to finance it by the central bank buying bonds, essentially, expanding its balance sheet. In other words, the central bank prints money, but the money doesn't flow into the financial system. It flows to individuals. And that creates then a society that depends on the government, like a socialist society. But maybe this is what people want. I don't want it, but this is a, a lot of young people. They want socialism, but they want more government intervention. I want less. Ah, uh, yes, and I and I hope AOC and Bernie and the rest of them don't get their way because uh, that has never worked at any time in history or any place on earth. But yes, they they I keep trying it. That's they keep trying that's it. That's you know, correct. yeah. But maybe the capitalistic system. The way we have it and the way it uh, morphed into crony capitalism, where you have these huge wealth inequalities and where you have, I mean, rampant corruption between the government and the leading businessman. We have to see this. Mm -hmm. yeah. Maybe this system doesn't work either. Right. So what system does work? I, I agree. The cronyism is just disgusting. And the anti-capitalists want to say, well, it's capitalism run amok. It doesn't always work. Right. But I don't know what's better. A bunch of central planners making the decisions. There, There's lots of corruption no. in those systems, too. You no, know? no. Yeah. But, you know, if you look at sports games, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, American football or soccer in Europe, or cricket, or tennis, or their rules. Mm -hmm. And the capitalistic system needs that someone enforces the rules. But it's morphed into a system where people with money, they can bend the rules mm -hmm. through lobbies and all kinds of questionable characters. I mean, the Mueller investigation in the U.S. and the Barr investigation don't interest me a lot, but it's fascinating to see how they all lie. Mm -hmm. yeah. All of them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> of yeah. course they do. Of course they do. In terms of uh, these unfunded mandates, I mean, we've got uh, maybe anywhere between 60 
trillion and 220 trillion, if you look at Lawrence Kotlikoff's work on the subject, in these unfunded mandates over the next 15 years. I mean, it just seems like they're going to create inflation. There is no way to avoid it. They have to print to pay for that, right? Well, in theory, they could cut the benefits, but try to cut the benefits of the police, the retired policemen or firemen. They'll rebel, if you can understand. Oh, of course they will. But, the but even just regular austerity, like we saw in Greece or in, you know, any number of places. I mean, it's uh, don't let me retire at 49. Don't pay for my college, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the people take to the streets and it's it's violent. And uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't know. Yes. That's not going to work. The way to do it is through inflation. As As ugly as it is, it's really a pretty good business plan for governments and central banks. It's the only sort of way that people don't instantaneously notice you know you boil the frog slowly as it were well, right in time they will notice it i mean every inflation has eventually ended relatively badly but it forced reforms and some of the reforms were successful and some were not but the inflationary path or road they can postpone the problem for a long time mm-hmm They sure can. They can keep kicking the can down the road. They sure can. Mark, uh, give out your website and tell people where they can uh, find your newsletter and such. Well, the last thing I just wanted to say, I mean, the only thing that can really hurt or maybe make this inflationary path unworkable is really a severe asset deflation. I mean, if homes really collapse, if the stock market really collapses, And if we have massive defaults in the corporate debt market, that will be difficult to fight with additional liquidity. Mm -hmm. That is that the problem is we have grossly inflated asset markets, grossly. Mm -hmm. And we have lots of companies, they will go bust. I mean, you raised the issue of Tesla. Mm -hmm. This is an example of a company Mm -hmm. that probably should have gone bust a long time ago. Oh, I agree. The emperor has no clothes. Anyway, <laughs> emperor Elon. But, but the yeah. website that I have is gloomboomdoom.com, mm-hmm. all in one word. I repeat, gloomboomdoom.com. Excellent. Mark Faber, thank you for joining us. Well, my pleasure. <laughs> Take care. So we did something very interesting a long time ago on the show. One of our clients was an expert in guided visualizations and the law of attraction. And she was kind enough to come on the show and do a guided visualization for us. And she actually did this for us at a live event. I believe it was actually at one of our Meet the Masters conferences many years ago. What I wanted to do is offer you a little gift. And that is an extra bonus episode every week. Uh, This will come out on Saturday, a little bonus episode, and it's nothing like a regular episode. It's totally different. It's going to be a guided visualization. I've hired an expert for this, and she does a great job of guided visualizations. And you know the power of visualization. Anything that the mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. That's what Napoleon Hill, one of the early success authors of Think and Grow Rich, told us. And if you can get your mind, your subconscious mind, to conceive and believe things with multi-sensory detail, 
that is a very powerful tool. So why don't we take this tool and make it specific to the principles of real estate investing that I teach? And uh, we will do that. We are customizing guided visualizations. We hired this expert. And every Saturday, we will release a very short guided visualization as a sixth episode per week on the podcast. And you can take the weekend and listen to this and relax. And they're just a few minutes long. They're very short. And it will help you in your visualization of your bright future, your abundant future as an income property investor. So I hope you like it. It's just a little bonus for you. Look for this every Saturday. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.